In this episode of 9-2-I Talks, acclaimed producer, songwriter, and performer Maggie Rogers speaks with founder of Rookie Magazine, Tavi Gevinson, in a wide-ranging conversation about her critically acclaimed major label debut album, Heard It in a Past Life. The conversation was recorded on October 3rd, 2019, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. Thank you so much for coming. Maggie, thank you for being here. You too. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's my job to start. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're it. How are you? I'm good, how are you? <laughs> Fine. You just played um, Radio City Music Hall two nights in a row. Sold out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, that, yeah. It's uh, very strange and surreal that that's a sentence that is a part of my life. I had a lot of fun. You got to come to the first night. It was great. It was awesome. It was a blast. Um, it was really, I don't know what to say about it. I'm still, I think I'm still really processing it because I think there's been a lot of milestones that have sort of happened in the last three years as I have sort of been doing this and been having my face appear behind me. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and it's really difficult to have those moments where you know you're going to remember it and you know it's important. It's like trying to appreciate it in the moment. Uh -huh. um, but the show is awesome. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun, which I think was unexpected. That's what we're, we started talking about this backstage and we agreed to save it. But <laughs> I, I had a lot of unexpected fun. Not that I didn't expect that it wasn't going to be fun, but I sort of expected it to be hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to have. I, I was expecting the pressure. I was expecting something. And I had, I had something, but I, I guess I was expecting a wave of nostalgia from graduating there in college or a wave of uh, payoff, like th some wave of joy and like real sense of accomplishment. And I had that, but it didn't exactly feel like something, like what I was thinking. Like what I had instead was that I just had a lot of fun. And there's nothing bad about that, but I kept waiting <laughs> for it. Like I got off stage and I saw my bandmates and I was like, it was really fun. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, like, we, we, did, we have a great show. And I was like, I know, it was great. They were like, what's wrong? <laughs> I kept waiting, I don't know. For like meaning, like catharsis. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah, I kept waiting for there to be some sort of friction that would manifest into something. It's my moment. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like I kept waiting for my moment to seize me. And instead, I just really enjoyed it. That sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot easier. I could see that being. I mean, you have it was to disorienting, right? And you're you have to do a lot. Like you can. You looked so free and like you were having so much fun, but you're also doing something that's really hard and kind of technical, right? So that that's it. And I think <laughs> the last show I had in New York was at Hammerstein Ballroom, and the show was amazing, but it, it was hard. Like I was really, really working and really thinking the whole show. Like the, sh the stage was, like 
as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm wondering if the Radio City thing was just that I was really prepared. Mm -hmm. Like the Hammerstein show was, there was a lot of newness. It was one of the biggest shows I've ever, I had ever played. The stage was really, really wide. The room looked different than anything I'd ever performed in, but I think the Radio City show was so fun, but also disorienting because I think I was just prepared. And I think I'm, I'm getting to the first part of my career where I've ever been able to feel that way <laughs> because there was such rapid change and growth yeah. that everything was the first for so long. But Radio City, it wasn't the first time I had been on that stage because the first time I'd been on that stage was when I graduated from college there three years ago. It, and also it wasn't the biggest show I'd ever played. And I had played in a seated theater before, so I somehow knew what to expect from the like formality of it. Hmm. So instead, I didn't have to, there wasn't this internal work. Like Hammerstein was really hard and then it felt great afterwards because I knew that I had worked hard. Right. And I think I'm realizing that the culmination of work can actually just look really different. Right, and it can be fun, and it means you don't have to worry as much, maybe, or... Well, I put in all the hours, yeah. Right. And, I, and I think seeing that work in real time for the first time was probably what was kind of disorienting about it. <laughs> but it wasn't disorienting, it was just awesome. But <laughs> I, think, I think it was the first time... My band does a meditation before we go out every night, and yeah. one of the things we say is, may I trust the work that brought me here. And before the Radio City show, I went back to NYU and did a Q&A there and they were sort of asking, the students were asking me about like writing and producing music in high school. And it was really interesting because I think a lot of times I've felt like my life has been kind of bisected by like before and after viral fame. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was really nice to remember that I've been working at this and for this really consciously for a long time, whether that's thinking about learning to produce music in high school or like even the night before Radio City, just like walking around the Lower East Side at seeing all these venues like Pianos and Arlene's and Rockwood that I played when I was in college. Right, it wasn't like a sudden, suddenly you knew exactly what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, like if, I think in a lot of ways, there was a lot of fast change, but mm. I think it just was almost like nothing happened for a lot of years and then I was suddenly ready for it and it all happened at once. Or ready or not ready for it, but it all happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one thing I wanted to ask about um, is that this album was made w with the fact that a lot of people would be hearing it in mind, which I guess is somewhat... Um, unique for, I mean, you had been making a lot of music and performing before that, mm -hmm. but um, one of the things I like about it so much is that it, um, there are songs about audience and that even kind of address right. the audience. Yeah. Um, and yeah. as a result, it sort of feels like a guidebook for a, an artist who wants to make something. Like, I find it... There are songs on there I find very helpful. <laughs> wow, that's amazing to hear. Yeah, it's like, you know, you're like saging the room in the beginning. <laughs> you're like, you don't know me, I don't know you. Um, I'll just sing it. It goes on. But like, 
I want to know when you were uh, working on it, how present was the audience? Did you feel, um, did that kind of relationship already existing change or inform or pose challenges or make it easier? It's interesting you say that because I think that if you had asked me that question without bringing up like a couple particular moments on, on the record, whether it's Give a Little or you're talking about Light On, which is a song that is literally written directly to my audience. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me that question, just been like, what role did knowing people were gonna hear it play? I think I would have said nothing. Mm -hmm. Because just music in general is a super personal process for me. And this record was really much, very much made as my way of just processing change. Like, I've always viewed record, records as a record of a period of time. It's been sort of my way of, of cataloging my life and, doc and really of documenting my feelings and my time. And this record was just made as my way to process. But you're right in that it, it does address an audience a lot. I think the other thing, too, is that Records, I always think, are made... Like, I always think about the space that a record is going to take up or hold. Like, my EP, I made in a bedroom. And so I sort of... I, I struggled playing it live because it was never really... It was meant for headphones. So when I went to play it live, it, it, I felt like it didn't translate the same way. Like... The, even just in the production, like a lot of the music was really quantized or locked to the beat in a certain way where it wasn't breathable in the way that you want live music to be. And, but I did have the experience from touring the EP of playing a lot of festivals and playing a lot of bigger shows. And I really made this record thinking about playing it, thinking about putting it in festivals and wanting it to live and breathe in this really open space. And one thing I've done in the live show in particular is really let go of the arrangements on the record. Hmm. And I've learned a lot through touring the record about the difference between recorded arrangements and live arrangements and the ways in which they can serve different purposes. Like if you come to the show, the Give a Little, which is a song we just spoke about, we wrote this entire like disco breakdown bridge because I wanted there to be something like a little bit more dramatic and fun and silly in the middle. Or there's a Beethoven interlude before a song called The Knife. <laughs> and oh, yeah. um, we've extended all the songs. Like I, I wanted to write a record that had all of these electronic influences that I love and pop elements that I love so much. But I also wanted it to really feel like a band and mm -hmm. for us to be able to think creatively on stage. It's so um, satisfying to see. I mean, it, you can feel the way that you, everything that you put into bringing these songs to life and giving them their own life and not just kind of recreating something that, yeah. as a listener, you're used to hearing. Well, I think it helps 
stay present and also stay invested because you have to have something at risk. And the malleability of the arrangements and the way that they manifest on stage means that all of us, you know, we're not just regurgitating or playing to a click. And there are tracks, but really auxiliary percussion and like a couple extra layers of background vocals. Mm -hmm. But the background vocals are also all being sung live. I mean, I think right. having the ability to extend or grow different sections of the music meant that there, it leaves space for like the magic of live music, of like really being able to have a different experience in a different show every night because you're taking the input of the crowd and tailoring the output to the energy that's being fed. And it, having something at risk means that you get to engage with the music differently every night. Whereas otherwise, I mean, you've you know, done plenty of plays on Broadway, like at a certain point, you're after you've had enough repetition of a certain thing, you are engaging in it, but there is a way to be present and not present. Yes, <laughs> definitely a way to be not present. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was. I think about that a lot. Just what it, the cumulative effect of actually saying the same words every night, at the same time every night, and the only other, I mean, I I bet there are more, but the other people I could think of who do that besides stage actors are singers who yeah. tour and people who pray. Um, yeah, which I don't know anything about, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, That's really, yeah. I wonder if um, you feel the repetition of these songs that you wrote, of sharing them so often and singing and performing them, how that changes you or changes the songs? Yeah, completely. Well, the songs even, I heard, the songs themselves are so different at this point, yeah. <laughs> like so far away from the record. I, heard, I never listen to my own music, mostly because I think I'm terrified of hearing something in the mix that I can't change anymore. <laughs> like once oh. I signed off, like I never listen because I think it just stresses me out. But I heard, I walked into a friend's house the other day, my record was playing, uh -huh. <laughs> which was a funny experience. And it was the first time I'd heard it in a while. And I was just baffled by how square I thought it sounded. What? <laughs> like, just because I'm so used to it being so alive right. on stage. Like, I think just, just interacting with a 2D version versus yeah. the 3D that I live in, or that I have lived in for the last year. And um, wait, shoot, we were talking about prayer. <laughs> Um, oh, repetition. repetition. The effect. So it does, the yeah. songs themselves are different, but I've, I've changed through them. Mm. And they, we've, we've, the past couple days we've been playing a new song in the set. And that's been really interesting because it, it doesn't have the year and a half of work that these other songs do. And I, I'm someone that has always hated practicing. Hmm. Like I am a, I am, a really, really mediocre instrumentalist. <laughs> like, I can play a bunch of instruments functionally to write and to think through them, but I'm, I, I'm not, I, I never practiced enough to do it. Or even like in school, like, I was starting to go to like advanced math classes, but then I never wanted to like learn my times tables, you know? It's like the, the memorization part I never wanted to do. Hmm. 
So the repetition, this has been the first time in my life that I've really had a version of it. And these songs, they become like mantras in a way. Some of my favorite musicians and bands have repetition. Sorry, I'm kind of organizing my thoughts. Um, I think for a while, when I started performing music, I was really, really worried that the audience was going to get bored. And I felt a real need to host people and a real need to like, really work hard to keep people engaged, which is why I think I started wearing bigger costumes and running around stages with, like, I, I mean, I, I still do that very naturally just because music makes me want to move. Like, I'm essentially running a 5K in heels every night. <laughs> but, like, that, that happens anyway. <laughs> I always looked up to bands, sort of like, I always think about broken social scene. Um, but it also comes from listening to classical music, that bands that never worried about the audience, but sort of just, maybe I'm thinking about the difference between, like, vibe and song, or a band like Beach House, or, like, bands that will sort of send you into this sort of, like, trance-esque, like, the beauty of repetition. And I, I never thought that I was able to get there in my music because I was always kind of like worried about taking care of people. Um, what I've realized through repetition is that it actually takes care of me. And I've had nights, you know, these songs are all written about one thing or another, and it's a really strange thing. It's a really strange thing in general to write down your like most vulnerable moments and then relive them every night. <laughs> for fun. <laughs> so some nights I'll deflect, but I had, a, I had a night a couple of weeks ago where there was something really bothering me. Like I, I was feeling kind of sticky with someone. Like it had, someone had sort of stuck into my skin. I ended up singing the song, singing the set for that person mm -hmm. as a way of like releasing it through me. And it like, it, it really helped. There's a, there's a line I sing every night in past life. Um, it's, sorry, I'm now singing the song in my head trying to figure out what the line before it is. It's, it's, a, it's maybe there's a past life coming out inside of me. Maybe it's the song I'm singing. And that, that feels like the center of the set every night. Like, I, my brain goes to, like, everywhere else, and then as soon as I sing that line, I'm, like, zoomed in to wherever, like, venue, city, state I'm in. And then I sort of, like, emotionally move in my own space for the rest of the set, but, yeah. I don't know if I really concisely answered that. I had, no. I had a lot of thoughts. Who, I don't remember. Not, Who I don't, cares? No, that but great. I, no, but I, I, I'm really curious, I think, about repetition. Yeah. Because I, I think I'm at a, I've never had it. Mm. This has all moved so quickly that I've, I've never gotten to play the same venue twice. Or I've, I've never gotten to be in, I'm, I'm just starting to be in the same cities more than once. Mm -hmm. But I've, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I played, what festival was it? I can't even remember. I played a festival for the first time. Oh, it was Lollapalooza. 
I played Lollapalooza for the second time this summer, and it was really disorienting because it was one of the first times I had had a marker I had returned to. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I had played it in 2017, and playing it again this summer was really interesting because it was the first time there was any sense of a control to, like, mark of, like, who I was then, who I am now, my personal artistic career growth that I had achieved in some way. And I don't know. I think the repetition is maybe more ahead of me. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think touring, it must, you, you, it's, I mean, it's, a it's Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> is Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's Groundhog Day, it's Russian Doll. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, that's interesting about taking care of people, because recently, I did a play this last summer, and one of the other actors in it was like, you're overthinking it. Just go out there, pretend everyone's five years old, and just be like, you're welcome. <laughs> and I do think the people feel, t an audience, I think, feels taken care of if you, you know, if you seem confident in what you're doing, even if you're not, like, putting on a show totally. as much. But if they can trust you. Well, I think you have to take care of yourself first, right? Because that's mm -hmm. why, like, I'm drawn to music in the first place, is that, like, it provides me this like really essential release and injection of creativity that I like I do need it to survive fundamentally. Uh-huh. But I, maybe it's not taken care of. It's it's I think it's just a reverence for the space and the position that I feel so grateful to be in, but also like I love music <laughs> so much <laughs> and that feels super simple but like I grew up just driving hours to see live music and and knowing what that did for me and I've always looked to live music spaces to provide some sort of release or to receive something or to be a part of something bigger than me or to transport me to that fall when I heard that record or to just be a marker in my life that I think it's not so much about taking care of people, but I think it's, it's, it's really, really working very consciously to create a space where I, I can be not the centerpiece of an evening, but a like center foothold to reflect everything back. Because it's not about me receiving the energy, it's being able to take the energy from an audience and redirect it back at people mm -hmm. so they can see or feel whatever they need to in their life. Right. Because it is about my life, but it's... <laughs> mm. It is about my life, but I think that's this... But it's also not, because mm. all the best pop songs or... I say pop so songs, all the best songwriting just describes something universal really simply and really personally. Right. And if you can understand that truth in your life, then it's probably true in someone else's, but it takes some, maybe some repetition. <laughs> <laughs> it came around. <laughs> um, I read in a interview that you said you don't watch your performances. Is that still the case? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw one. Uh -huh. I saw one, which is why I, 
Well, performances, I've seen a couple of, just to be very clear and, and truthful as we're talking about truth, I've seen a couple of my TV performances. Mm -hmm. I've never watched my SNL performance mm -hmm. because Ross Dem and I made a pact not to. <laughs> um, I think that watching something back, especially in live music, or just music in general, it's you can't see it, you can only feel it. So watching it through a screen just will never, it, you can get in your head, I think, really easily because it will never, ever show you in any way how it felt to be there, what it was like to be. Like, I'm yeah. so, so disinterested in concert videos. Even of artists I love, like, I just, I think it's really boring because <laughs> it's not about watching, it's about feeling it. It's about, like, a communication of energy. It's not about anything else. And so, um, but what it did for me so I, I did see one concert video, which was of my performance of, at Coachella this year, mm -hmm. because it was live streamed. Like, I, I have never actively filmed it, but it was part of it that it was filmed, so I've seen it, mm -hmm. or I've seen clips of it, and I was totally shocked. <laughs> and I think what it did for me is it was able to, it was able to let, it made me able to validate my level of exhaustion. <laughs> because it looked exhausting? No, I, well, I was really tired after, and I usually am tired after, because I just right. give like, everything I have to being on stage. But I was always, I'm always, always sort of like, I think part of any artist is a, a self-critic, and my self-critic is like, everyone does this, why are you tired? Huh. And then I, and I had also walked around the festival. I'd seen other bands play on the same stage. I know it, and I think that was it. There were, again, there was a control. I was able to go to that stage that I played in for Coachella and see other bands play. And then when I returned and was sort of watching this video of me playing, first of all, I'm moving a ton. <laughs> and I somehow wrote all my songs so that they require my full body <laughs> vocally. <laughs> Uh -huh. Like, there's not a moment of, like, chill singing. Like, I'm screaming. <laughs> and for as fast as I thought I was moving, adrenaline does a thing where you also move double the speed you're actually moving. Mm -hmm. And so it was the first time I was able to validate my work to myself in some way. Because I always just sort of, I, I don't know. It was the first time I was like, oh, yeah, you're exhausted because you're working your ass off. Like, yeah. this makes sense. Like, I, I think I, before I had just been tired and sort of said to myself, like, this is just what it takes to do this. And, like, maybe you're a little bit more sensitive to people or, like, maybe your introvert isn't getting enough love and, like, you're putting out too much extroverted energy. But suddenly I was like, no, 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 no. Like, first of all, standards of energy it takes to do this is irrelevant because it's different for every artist. And... The idea that, I mean, artists by themselves are the most sensitive people. So the idea that you would, like, measure the, the success or hard work of an artist based on how much they're putting themselves out there is completely in contrast to the personality type. Right. And just, like, it's hard. And I think I'm learning a lot of lessons right now about adulthood. 
Uh, as I I'm, don't know what that is. Yeah, I'm very fresh to it. <laughs> very fresh to it. And one of those lessons is like that if you're tired, you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so real. <laughs> I tried to yeah. trick myself out of it for a long time, but you can just be tired. Well, and with that adrenaline, you don't realize how much energy you're actually exerting. It burns everything in your body, too. Yeah. Well, it's, it is some weird, like, yeah. Adrenaline every night is a really interesting. It does a lot to your body and to your brain. You're a functional drug addict. It's like, no, I guess someone's going to quote me on that, and it's going to read really weird, but, but it is. I mean, adrenaline is a, it's like, it does something to your serotonin release. Like, I have to eat really specifically, and I don't really drink on the road. Like, it, it like, burns everything in your body. Oh, that just explains, because, uh, yeah, after every show, I'm like, why, like, every run of a show ends. I'm like, why am I so cranky and agitated and yeah. have all this unused energy? Because you're raw. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I read also. <laughs> I know everything Big about you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you. This was a while ago, so I wanted to know if you still felt this way. Okay. But you considered yourself a writer first and performer second. Yeah. Totally. Still? Yeah, I think that the, I've, yes, yes. Um, I think this sort of ties into the Coachella video conversation where I'm only sort of realizing performing is something I'm kind of okay at. That's <laughs> Which crazy. is hilarious that I just like played two nights at Radio City, yeah. but I've always like, I have a, I have a degree in music production and engineering, but I also have a degree in English. Like, mm -hmm. I've always been a songwriter. I've always been really into books. I've always written essays. Like, if I wasn't, even in college, if I wasn't going to be a musician, I was going to be a journalist. Like, writing has always been, like, the central theme. Journaling is religious to me. I have always looked up to musicians who are writers first. Like, I think about Patti Smith. Or like Carrie Brownstein or Kim Gordon or, or even like, you know, really those are those are sort of multidisciplinary artists. But I even like Bob Dylan, like you know, or Leonard Cohen. Mm -hmm. um, words are really really important to me. But I think I'm only realizing that I really love performing. It's it's been a thing I've had to sort of talk myself into, or like it's it, people have had to work really hard to get me to see. And I think also because I had a mega dose of it. Like I haven't had a lot of time to m miss performing. Hmm. Like I miss writing. When, I don't, when I'm not getting space and time enough to write, I miss writing. And I've had a practice of writing my whole life. But I've actually just spent the last three years performing. And it's, it's when you're just doing something, when you're that close to something, it's hard to have the space to remember it's something you really love or that you need in some way, that you miss. I think it's, it's I'm still finding my way around it too because I think that I always felt like I never sang in like middle school or high school because hmm. I always thought that it meant that I was asking for attention and it, that was really uncomfortable and also just sort of counter to my personality. 
But I think that I'm learning that singing and performing can be just a release of energy. Like it actually just is something that feeling the vibration in my body makes me feel better. Sometimes I just need to sing. But it wasn't, I took my first vacation in August. <laughs> um, that's where everyone should clap. And I <laughs> self care. Um, it was the first time I really realized I needed to sing. Huh. Like, I, it was the first time I, I was like feeling a weird, it was so relieving. <laughs> like, it was the first time in a long time where I've been like, what's that feeling? And I'm like, oh, I really need to play guitar. And it's like, okay, I haven't actually felt that since I was like in high school. Hmm. Because I've just sort of overdosed on it since then. It was nice to know that like the North Star was still in place. Well, and the thing about getting over that feeling of um, that you're performing or singing means that you're asking for attention. It's like what you were saying about um, people go to these shows because they love the music and they want to feel something. And yeah. I think it's quite generous and gracious to reflect that back, like you were saying. Yeah, well, I think people need, I don't want to speak for all people, but I need a gathering space. Yeah. And I need to feel community and connection, and that's always been through music. But it's funny that we're, like, as we're talking about this, it's interesting, because I haven't actually really thought about this in a long time, but it makes sort of sense that the only possible way I could ever become some sort of pop star is through some kind of unlikely viral video. <laughs> like, where I like di didn't mean to participate and like sort of showed up for school. Like, I think that that is the only, as we're talking about this, it's sort of like clicking in my brain that that like might actually be the only possible way I could have ever like shared something with a mass audience. Right, you wouldn't have sought out. Because it didn't, it yeah. sort of felt like it happened to me rather than actively me, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm having a lot of fun, yeah. It's really sick, but. <laughs> it's really nice to get to just make work. Yeah. And know that that can be my life. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> that's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's so many questions. How do you, do you, so now do you like carve out time for writing? Is it just kind of the channel's always open? No, the channel's very closed. Um, not on purpose, just like I find that performing takes pretty much all of my energy. I, I'm kind of a, be, touring is a really, really strange. It's hard to, um, I find that great work takes space and time, and there's not much of either of those on the road. I feel like I go into survival mode, um, or, or like I'm, I'm in the middle of a marathon, mm -hmm. and it's everything I do, whether like eating, sleeping, writing, it's all in service of the show, and of like, getting my body through this like large hoop of like adrenaline, physical function, health. Like, so it is hard sometimes because I do feel like a part of me isn't being fed. And so my like, biggest goal is I feel really lucky to have had the last three years to sort of understand the roadmap of how 
touring typically, like what it looks like, what the sort of societal structure of it is. But I think now that I've gotten to see it, my biggest goal is to sort of restructure it. Because it's sort of, or for myself, um, it sort of works with like writing, promo, touring, rest, repeat. But that's not how my brain works. And I want to be writing and then playing the songs with my band because I think that that'll make the songs better when I go to release them. And then I want to talk about the music I'm making as I'm making it. So I, and then I want to, I want to include my audience because they've been such an integral part of this record growing and because, you know, as I'm talking about where the songs have grown in this live space, like there's a lot of ingredients that have made that happen. And if the goal of any artist is to just make the like, keep growing, keep challenging yourself to make, find some culmination in your artistic life of making great work, well, I have to restructure it. Because the way I'm touring right now, it's awesome it, to a certain extent where I get to like, go to all these cities. Like the, fundamentally, the concept of it is incredible and the experience of it is super cool. But I don't know anybody that really loves living on a bus. Right. <laughs> doesn't mean I'm not really grateful for it and that there aren't like romantic parts of it that I completely adore and am inspired by. But it also means that it's, it's, hard, to, um, it's hard to let your vulnerability down long enough to have real reflection and then have to sort of get back to a place where I can tell everyone about my feelings really openly. Yeah, that it's, you're, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to, that's, that's sort of one of my like looking forward goals is like holistic lifestyle. I, that, gosh, that really makes me think, I wish it was just more normal to think of more creative pursuits in that way. I mean, I know that people need to make money, but like that that is the structure you follow and that's the cycle and. Well, we have a lot of, we have a lot of emphasis on output. Right. Especially in culture right now where they're like, everyone's releasing like a single a month or like there's like constantly a new TV show. There's this real stress on output, but I don't think we, spend enough time having reverence for the process. Like even, like it, it, when my record came out, everyone was like, really took your time. And I'm like, I toured for a year and a half and I made this record in four months. Excuse you? <laughs> like, what do you mean took my time? Like I literally did it as fast as I possibly could, but like when, and also that, that notion also, I want, what I want in my life and what I want from the artists that I adore more than anything is for them to give me something when it's finished. And when they think that it is at the best it can be and that sometimes, I want something that takes time because I want something that's going to last. Like I don't want a house that's been built quickly. And, and I would rather, I think that's why I'm thinking more about my input too, you know, of like, and I was thinking about this actually in relationship to your New York Magazine piece of just like thinking about what 
if you are what you eat, like what's going into your body? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you looking at on a daily basis? And how does that affect the work you're creating? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, so this article I recently wrote was about Instagram. And I think, I mean, first of all, on Instagram, when I learned, when I was writing it and met with them and learned more about how the technology works and how the algorithm sorts your feed for you. The thing I kept going back to was you are what you eat because it really does pay attention to every little, like, I don't know how the algorithm works and I don't know if I want to know. I'll just say, I mean, it's really just, like, it doesn't know if you're like, uh, hate watching something. It thinks you like that, so it shows you more of that. <laughs> and so, it, uh, like, recently I looked up, I think this is a widespread problem, like, I recently looked up um, Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root on Spotify to play it as a joke, but now, like, I only get Rusted Root. <laughs> so, <laughs> that feels like a greater problem. <laughs> Me listening to us. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's yeah. not a problem. But just that the, yeah, you, I, I think part of why I have tried to become more mindful about how I use it is not because I want to be, feel super fragile and precious about like my intake or what yeah. the things I see, but just because I'm like, time is, you know, my most precious resource and it's, um, it's a kind of, uh, for me, when I you, yeah, take in all of the, when I take in things on that medium in that form, it's pretty mindless rather than mindful. Well, I think um, there's a middle ground, right? Like, yeah. I think uh, the the vision of the consummate artist that only reads Baudelaire and listens to like probably Leonard Cohen and right. you know like that's great but like I really need Carly Rae Jepsen in my life <laughs> like so I think that there's a balance and and like I don't think hate watching specifically is bad if it's like a maybe maybe specifically but <laughs> you know what I mean the analogy yeah. of like I think that it's it's finding Again, finding some balance. And right. I think that that's sort of to what I've tried to do with my work is like make sure that, like, yes, everything I'm writing is serious and considered and is my feelings, but like we're all gonna like laugh a little bit about the fact that like I turned into a pop star. Like, you know, it, we're like, like, it's gonna be silly, right? Like, and if I'm gonna get to, and I think that that's been my attitude about like going through all of this too, is like, it's like when I, I, I got to go to the Met Ball this year. It's, it's like the idea of that is like hilarious. <laughs> and, and people kept thinking that I wanted to be really like subtle about it. But I was like, no, dude. Like, they were like, did you, did you want diamonds? And I was like, yeah, I want diamonds. They were like, did you, like, did you want champagne? I was like, yeah. I was like 10 a.m. And I was like, yes. Like, if I'm going to fucking do this, like, bring it. And that's, yeah. that's sort of like the pop star mentality, too. It's like, well, that, like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to wear glitter every night. Right. <laughs> like, you know? And I'm going to do it for a small amount of time and then... 
and then maybe I'll figure out my new relationship to glitter or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Enjoying it. Yeah. I think that's the thing about Radio City too, is just like really spending time enjoying it. So this means we have 15 minutes left? She went away. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, I'm gonna ask you one last question before we uh, move to cards. Okay. Um, because I am just deeply curious. Um, Bring it. So I read that your mom is an end-of-life doula, mm -hmm. which as I understand it is someone who guides people through the process of dying to help them see it as part of life. Yeah. And that really stood out to me because past lives and rebirth and afterlife and old selves and new selves are such themes in your work. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's metaphorical, um, but I, it, it, death is so unspeakable in our culture. And yeah. so I well was just thinking like what it, would be like to have, um, you know, did the did your mom's work or the way maybe she talked about it influence the way you thought about these things in your writing? That's, that is an interesting question. I think that death has always sort of been a part of my life. And just like, since I, I, I had like a lot of, I have known a lot of people who have died starting at like a fairly young age and it was always a part of my life that also was spoken about. Like my mom would come home and be like, I had a beautiful death. Like she'd be like, I had a great death today. And I'd be like, oh my God, amazing. Like, cause it, you know, it doesn't mean, it is, it is sad, of course, there is loss and, but it also, it can be peaceful, and it can also, you know, I think the way I've come to think about it is that I think that there are many, there are many versions of death, and there are many deaths in our lives, and I think they just mark transition. Like, I, I haven't come to ever see them as like a final, see death or a concept as a final frontier, it just means change. And I think that there are different things that live and die within us that, make up our own personal chemistry to some degree. And this tour in particular, I, th I thought was gonna kind of feel like a death. Like I, th I thought that this tour would feel like the end of some era in some way. And I'm finding that it actually really feels like the beginning. So I'm not really sure when the death happened or maybe it is some like beginning, like <laughs> top, of the, top of the scope, but like it, um, yeah, my relationship with death is sort of always evolving. But on the phone, I, mean, I was sort of mentioning this newness that I feel, and it's um, I've sort of spent my whole life working towards this one thing that I sort of somehow did <laughs> between, especially after last night, like having two sold out shows at Radio City is sort of like cool. I like, I did the music career. Like, I, I checked the box. Like, I, I did that in my lifetime. And so now it's this really strange thing of, like, I've spent my whole life being really laser-focused. Like, since a young age, being like, this is why I'm on this earth. Like, I really thought I was going to die this year. 
in a really peaceful, really calm way. <laughs> like, I just thought that like I was accomplishing all these crazy goals and that it must mean that like maybe this was just like why I was here and that like I did the thing and so like it's time to move on to the next life. And I think that that can be, it doesn't have to be physical, right? Like I can still have the same corporal life and move on in my brain to some sort of new new way of thinking or new way of living or I don't know I'm having this really big struggle of trying to figure out like what what I want or what I want to do and I think what I want is what I've always wanted which is to make great work and to write songs and write books and keep learning but it it it's my north my north star is shifting a little bit and I don't really know what like it's like what life after accomplishment looks like it's, but it's, it was never ever about external validation. So uh, it's like now I cool. Like now I have the things to tell my grandkids about. So right. it's like maybe now is when I actually start living. Ooh, I just got chills. Oh my god. <laughs> um, okay, that was incredible. Uh, I'm gonna read some of these. Okay. <laughs> Lots of supernatural elements on this record. Things like past lives, yes, images of moons and stars, spiritual awakenings. Is that supernatural connection something you carry with you in everyday life? Y yes and no. I, I don't, I try not to be, it's definitely not made up. Like you all just heard me speak and this is just definitely <laughs> how I think. It's definitely how I think, but it's not like a caricature like I'm not just like throwing glitter everywhere. Like I like I like went to the bodega and like had a seltzer. So like I don't know. And it's it's I'm trying to be sure that it's also not like wrapped up into millennial bullshit or like mm. John. This is the one I never read my press, mm -hmm. but there was one quote that was sort of passed along to me from John Caramonica of the New York Times who said that I was the eat, pray, love of music. Uh. Which I fucking love. <laughs> I think that's so funny. So um, yeah, maybe it is part of my real life. <laughs> I, the, I, I just don't want to infringe on the note card time, but I do have thoughts on that. Okay, who would be your dream to share the stage with, dead or alive? And what would you two sing from Brooke? Oh. Um, ten, nine, eight. I, I would like to sing Horses with Patti Smith. I see that happening. Eden says, I'm 19 and just moved to New York seeking advice on how to fully allow the experience to shape me. Oh, my girl. <laughs> if you're asking that, you're already doing it. It's just... Yeah, New York will find you. It sounds like it already has if you made it to up to 92nd Street Y. <laughs> That's right. Um, okay, this is from Isabel and Mieta. What advice would you give to aspiring songwriters? The best advice I've ever been given is to bet on yourself. 
don't let anyone else tell you that you should listen to them because they're all wrong. <laughs> um, okay. Going from... Wait, last, yeah. last thing about songwriting Please. specifically. That's more like music industry stuff. But this thing about songwriting is um, write down what you think and then take a deep breath and try and figure out how you actually feel. <laughs> because it's usually a little more complicated and it takes time. Ooh, that's really good advice for all kinds of writing. Yeah, living, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thinking, breathing. Writing yeah. a text message. Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> Don't hit send, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> Get the setting on your email where you can undo the send. Um, yeah. That's good advice. <laughs> um, okay, Bryce says, going from LA to NYC, there are some arrows here that I don't understand. I'm sorry. Was the creative energy different, and how so? Maybe he means back and forth. Oh. LA, NYC. Yeah, the creative energy, I think, is different in both of them. I'm still finding my way through Los Angeles. Um, my friends all moved there from New York, which has been kind of disorienting. I think New York inspires me more than Los Angeles, but being around my friends inspires me as a concept, so I don't know what I think specifically about the differences in the energies. And I also think what I think is sort of irrelevant between LA and New York because it, um, it finds anyone else in their own space. I'm the, most, I'm the most inspired when I have space and time to think, and that usually doesn't happen in either of those places. <laughs> yeah. Except at the 92nd Street Y. Just the 92nd Street Y, yeah. Um, Natalie asks, I went to the concert on Tuesday oh. with my dad. How do you feel knowing that your music appeals to multiple generations? Oh. Uh. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's really sweet. <laughs> Grateful? <laughs> I think that... That's always been the goal. You know, my friends are of all different kinds of generations, you know. Just because you look a certain age on the outside doesn't mean that that's where your brain is. So age is, feels really irrelevant. People are people. I heard a man, I think a man, uh, yell, I'm so proud of you. Was that... Someone you know, or Natalie's dad? <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, that was her dad. And I was like, do we know this? No, my dad would have, <laughs> my dad would have told me that personally. <laughs> I don't think my dad would have yelled that, but that's very sweet. My dad is a really, really jolly, weepy man. Um, he, would have, I, he wouldn't have, yeah, he's probably crying too hard to be able to yell that loud. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet though. I know. I am, yeah, I'm excited to have, this tour wraps up at the end of November and I'm excited to have a second to like take it in, you know, because it's really, I think that's been my biggest stress over these past couple years is like, ah, appreciate it. Like, yeah. or like, don't miss it. Don't miss, like, I think really not wanting to miss these moments because, um, to, when you're in a state of overstimulation, it's really hard to think clearly. And 
I think the biggest way to not miss things is just to be present, but there's also a, a system of cataloging memories in your brain where when you're overstimulated in some way, you, you lose access to your filing cabinet. Oh, completely. So, um, yeah, I don't know, that's really sweet. That wasn't my dad, but. <laughs> um, I've now realized the clock I've been looking at this whole time has been on the same minute hand <laughs> this whole time. So I don't know how much time is left. Um, <sighs> there is a clip. That's just, that might be a nice. Okay. Um, uh, of Ben Platt oh. <laughs> saying, who was here like last night talking about you. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's really funny with the lights coming down. I feel like I'm <laughs> pranking you. Um, but this was shown to me earlier, and I think it might be a nice place to end. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are we, uh, what a weird, yeah, what a weird surprise. You know, what I do own and what I try to, you know, emulate and what I try to sort of give out into the world is that I understand what makes me different and I understand what makes me unique and what makes me myself. And I think people who come to watch someone do anything or watch an actor do something on screen or on stage or watch me sing my own music, anything, as much as they want to see someone who they see themselves in and can relate to, what we want to see is the difference in people. And I think we're forgetting that like the, that's the best part is like, that's the reason we're all here at the same time. It's like if we were all a bunch of the same, you know what I mean? Like I just went to Maggie Rogers' uh, concert. Oh God. If you don't know Maggie Rogers, get into yeah. it. I promise you won't be sad. Um, and she is like so her own animal, her own creature. I mean, she has yeah. a beautiful voice, and 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 like that's a huge part of it. But she that's moves and acts and is her own creature that is not like anyone I know. And so that's what's fascinating. And we should revel in that, not be like looking for the differences as reasons to be distant from people. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's really sweet. It was really sweet. I truly don't know <laughs> if I, I'm like, I don't want to cut it short if there's a long... Said so you're good. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. Um, Maggie you, Rogers, give it up. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92y.org archives.